0: Welcome to Checking In with Michelle Williams, a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. The transformation we each undergo after experiencing a loss is the indelible imprint of the people we love on our lives, which is the meaning of legacy, This episode is dedicated to you or to someone close to you that is still navigating the loss of a loved one, a job, a relationship, and you're still grieving and you feel like there's a timeline to grief. You feel like you have to show up smiling even though you're sad, even though you're grieving. Grieving is just not a straight line. You guys, this episode, it's near and dear to my heart. It's near and dear to a few of the producers of this podcast checking in. And this young lady, former managing director of My Brother's Keeper Alliance, founder of The Pink Agenda, which is an organization dedicated to raising funds for breast cancer care. She's been a regular contributor to Glamour, Vogue, CNN, and author of her new book, Grief is love. Please welcome Marissa Renee Lee. Thank you so much
1: for having me. I am super excited to be here. I've been a huge fan of yours since high school when we were trying to sneak into clubs on the weekends. Uh, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know this is going to be a really fun conversation.
0: It's going to be a fun conversation, although we will be discussing what can be a heavy topic, grief. Grief. We know the past two years of us trying to live and survive during this pandemic, we've grieved so many types of losses. What is your take on grieving losses that aren't necessarily the death of a loved one? We lost a lot. Yeah, yeah. We
1: lost a lot in this pandemic. You know, our definition of normal, just one day it just disappeared. You know, I don't know about you, but I will never rem- forget that time you know, in early March where it was seeming like, oh, this this might actually be something that like we all have to pay attention to that's going to impact our lives. But we still didn't know exactly what it meant or what it was going to look like. And, you know, even the little things like going to the grocery store started to be different during those first two weeks. And then all of a sudden, the world just shut down. Everything that we were accustomed to was taken away. And I think, I think a lot of people experienced grief for the first time in that moment. And because we live in a culture that is very grief averse, it was hard to talk about it. You know, it was kind of hard to put your finger on what was going on, but you, you didn't feel quite right. Like everything just felt a little bit off. And you know, I, I actually I actually just left a dentist appointment that I had today before this, this conversation. And they blowing, were
0: wing by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they were saying, you know, the first month of the pandemic, all they were seeing were people who were having horrible jaw pain from grinding their teeth because of the stress of it all. And so I think when it comes to sort of these more ambiguous losses, like what we all experienced in the pandemic, I think it's important to recognize that that is grief and to give yourself permission to be not quite right, to be a little bit off your game, to feel a little sad or frustrated or angry or whatever it is, because it's normal. And so I think the sooner we recognize that grief shows up in lots of places, in lots of different ways, and that it is all perfectly normal, the easier it becomes.
0: Mm, That's good. Speaking of normalness, you lost your mother in February of two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and you share that the normalness of the mourning process has been difficult for you. you Want to ask? Tell me about the process and how we can even normalize that we shouldn't expect mourning to be this straight path. Yes. Yes. Know?
1: So, I first decided to write Grief is Love in August of 2008, six months after my mom died, and almost 14 years ago. And I I remember, and like I wrote it in a journal, I found these notes when I was doing research for the book, but I remember feeling like I had been lied to and misled. You know, I am very type A, you know, researcher, get shit done kind of personality. And so, before my mom died, I had done research on grief and loss and death. You know, I read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's seminal work on death and dying. I helped my mom think about, you know, what she wanted for her funeral and, and what she wanted to do wow. with a few things that, you know, she really cared about. Like I did all the things and then she died and it was just, it was just awful, you know, and it was, it was a kind of awful that I had never experienced before. And I didn't feel like even though I had done all of that preparation that I was in any way prepared for it. I now know that, you know, the second that she took her last breaths on February 28th, 2008 at 5.37 PM, life as I knew it ended and I needed to now figure out Mm. what it meant to live without my mother here in this world with me. And I didn't know that. And I thought. You know, somebody dies, you have a nice funeral, you're sad for a couple of weeks, you go back to work and you move on. And that's just not how it works. I redefine grief in this book as the repeated experience of learning to live in the midst of a significant loss. Because for me, not having my mom, you know, even 14 years later, as a new mom, you know, how many times I've wanted to pick up the phone and call her or text her for advice or, you know, send her pictures of this cute little brown baby boy. And I can't do that. So I have to leave. I have to leave space for both the sadness and for whatever accommodations I need to be okay with the fact that she's not here. And, you know, in the early weeks, it was making sure that I was exercising even if it was only for 10 minutes that i was you know staying hydrated um that i was remembering to eat even if it was only once a day like you know making sure that i was taking care of myself in the ways that she would be taking care of me if she were here you know it was going to therapy once a week again because i felt like i needed a place to share my grief and just you know the general disorientation that arrives with new motherhood so i think if people can if people can reconceptualize grief as not a thing that happens and then it's over, but as something that ebbs and flows and comes and goes over time, because you're not going to forget about these people who you love, who are no longer in the world. So instead you just have to learn what it looks like for you to live without them here.
0: It's funny. You should say that because the person you love passes away the funeral planning process. So you're you're crying. You're possibly wailing. Or you get to the funeral home. The funeral. Oh. You're crying. You're wailing. Get to the cemetery. Some crying. Some wailing. Then the repast. All right, you're not crying wailing because mother so-and-so from the church then baked you your favorite cake. Yes. (laughs) When I tell you when my father passed, I didn't realize how I did not want to see another piece of chicken. Oh my gosh. So that was
1: so for you it was chicken. For me, the last thing my mother ate was this Italian cookie that we both Mm love that like I grew up with called a pizza. I didn't eat another one of those cookies for almost 10 years. I also couldn't stand flowers for like the first decade. You know, my husband, when we first started dating, I was like, do not, no, do not bring flowers anywhere near me because they just reminded me of death and the funeral. That was the
0: last place that you saw all these flowers or had all this food. So I think what I'm getting at is you go through those stages of the funeral and burial. Then that's it. But you said that you started going to therapy to process grief. You didn't have to do it alone. And so many people go through it alone or they think it's normal that I'm just supposed to go to work. Some people got to bury their parent on a Saturday, go to work on Monday. Oh. Yeah, it's horrifying.
1: But that's what happens in a grief-averse culture. In this country, we are so committed to capitalism and white supremacy. You know, we all just saw billionaire bored white dude by Twitter. And I think as a result of that, we don't value care because no one, no one is going to pay you or promote you or, you know, frankly, in any way monetarily support your need to care for yourself, your need to mourn, your need to grieve, your need to be in therapy or, you know, just get more rest or, you know, maybe take a short Couple of days off from work or vacation at some point because of your loss, because of your grief. You know we don't we don't value those. things. We don't
0: value those things. And ladies and oh, gentlemen, need that. she she said a few things, and that is why one year she was appointed by the Obama administration <laughs> to do some work in the White House. We're mm-hmm. gonna get to that, but I, I do want to tell the listeners that just two weeks after your mother died, Marissa, you went back to work. You she went did. to work on wall street and you yep. shared that you kept your mouth shut about the extent of your pain as a black woman how much did you feel well why did you feel you had to hide your sadness and you it know, could be what you just named a couple sentences ago did you feel it was seen just, as a weakness oh absolutely absolutely wow. again
1: this is also 2008 you know these days We celebrate vulnerability. You know, people are starting to get more comfortable with certain forms of emotional expression. But this was the oldest private bank in America, an institution that had been around since the 1800s that had previously held people that looked like you and me as collateral on its balance sheet, because that's, you know, that was just business back then. And I was generally in most situations at work the youngest person usually the only woman or one of two women in my department when i started there was one other black person in my department and he left soon after i started so i was usually the only black person and i was very supported by my immediate supervisor you know he was white guy navy vet but definitely a little bit more of a feelings person And so he would try and, you know, ask me how I was doing, ask me about my mom when her health was ailing toward the end. And he definitely did everything in his power to make me feel comfortable Mm. with my grief, with this loss. But like, I just didn't in that environment. Like when you are the only everything, a lot of times, like you feel a need to represent not only for yourself, but for everyone else who hasn't been privileged enough to end up in the spaces and the places where you now find yourself. And so I feel like that sort of layered pressure, the expectations that I had grown up with around how Black women are supposed to be and behave and what we do and don't say, plus the fact that I genuinely believed myself that there was something wrong with me. Mm. Like I truly thought, that there was something wrong with me for still being so sad about the death of my mother. You know, I would, I would kind of like gaslight my grief. You know, I would say to myself, parents die, like mothers die. That's, that's what's supposed to happen. It's the natural order of things. What's so special about this loss. Like I was, I was horrible to myself. So it was both the external circumstances and a lot of deep internal programming and judgment and shame. And I will tell you, you know, every day I would get up, leave my apartment, get on the subway. You know, I could get myself through those initial steps. Mm -hmm. The second I started to climb the stairs, leaving the subway on wall street to actually walk to my office building, I would start having a panic attack and I would manage somehow by the grace of God to keep it together until I could get to the basement of my office building. And I would collapse down there Mm. almost daily for months. And the only reason why I know this went on for months is because there was one girl who I'm still very close to, who was my friend and like mentor at the bank at the time. And she would plan to come down to the basement every morning with a latte, a cookie, and she would grab a Xanax from my desk. And so she would come down, take care of me, help me get myself back together. I'd reapply my makeup and go up to work as though it was the most normal thing in the world. That was Marissa, how I get. I know.
0: But I'm sure that there is somebody listening who's saying, girl, I can relate.
2: Yep. You know, honey,
0: grief will make you weak. Literally SWV talking about some weak in the knees, (laughs) (laughs) baby. Grief will have your legs feeling like jelly. You could, like you said, you were, why didn't this happen on the subway? Why does it happen Uh, every time? You go into work. Now it was beautiful that you said that your supervisor at the time could lean into your pain and ask you how your mother's doing and what's going on. Yeah. And a person dealing with grief, did you have people who meant well say <laughs> things like she lived a wonderful life. I'm sure she left you some great gems and
1: jewels. Yeah. yeah. You know, it. you know, it. but here, and here's what I say. So you know i always get the question what do i do when it happens to someone else you're know, like what what do i say people get really nervous and worried about how to approach grieving people and what i always say to people is what you say is less important than what you do at the end of the day because while there were some especially you know some of the some of the church ladies some of the neighbors et cetera, who were like She's in a better place, you know, God's plan, all the things that may be true, but you do not need to hear (laughs) the week or two weeks after you lose a parent at barely 25 years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I like couldn't deal with it. But what I remember more than that are the people who I expected to show up to support me and didn't. So if you are someone who is listening, who knows someone else Mm -hmm. who's having a hard time, you know, in the midst of grief leave the words aside and drop off a meal tell them you're going to come over and take their kids for a few hours this weekend send them a gift certificate to a spa that you both enjoy you know do something that will help them feel seen and supported and loved mm. and if you don't know what to say just say you know i love you i'm thinking of you or even just say i love you and take an action because that will never be forgotten. You know, the things that people did for me in the weeks leading up to and the weeks, months and years following my mother's death and, you know, even following the pregnancy loss my husband and I experienced, like, I just I will never forget that kindness.
0: Because mm, some people feel like they don't show up in any way at all because they feel like they had to have something magical, theological, philosophical to say yeah, versus no, like you said, just dropping off some Kleenex or saying, yeah. girl, let me clean the bathroom for you. Cause I know you probably haven't been able yeah. to organize your makeup kit, you know, whatever. Yes.
2: State farm insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future
0: In your book, Grief is Love, you titled your chapters just these cool one word (laughs) things like permission, grace, care, and legacy. What lesson or chapter have you received the most maybe surprise reaction from people that have read it?
1: That's a good question. So I get the most feedback on permission. And and it's, it's also the longest chapter in the book. It's the first chapter in the book. But I think that you know, when I sat down to write the second draft of this book, which is the one that everyone has. Um You're right. Cause I you do realized, people don't
0: realize oh, it you was go a big pivot. Oh my God.
1: I I don't even want to think about the tens of thousands of words that were thrown in the garbage. So we'll we'll leave that aside. That's another okay, conversation okay. about book writing. <laughs> um, but I sat down and I I thought about what enables me to live this like big, happy, joyful, fun life while still grieving my mom from time to time. And I realized a lot of it has to do with permission. You know, I hit a certain point and I decided I'm not going to let anyone else dictate what is or isn't okay, what I can or cannot do, or what any of this grief of mine should look like. And the second that I gave myself that pass to deal with and process whatever comes up, however best works for me, the easier it became. And so I think for a lot of people, they read that chapter on permission and they realize, oh shit, I haven't been giving myself permission. And I want to give myself permission so that I can live a full and joyful life because it's really hard to do that when you are still judging yourself for how you are handling your grief, or when you're still letting others judge you for how you're handling your grief, like once you let go of all of those judgments, it makes it so much easier.
0: Mm. You're so right about folks. Like I said, the majority of people can possibly mean well because some people are just ignorant, and I don't mean ignorant as in a negative way. Ignorant means yeah. just you just don't know. Exactly about the space that someone needs to grieve. Yes, your mother passed away in 2008, it's 2022. Maybe you're not wailing and having anxiety attacks, but the thought, someone needed a picture of me. They needed a young picture of me. And I had to go through my camera roll and while swiping my camera roll, girl, I ran across a picture of my dad who passed in December of 2020. And it's been two years, going on two years. But seeing that picture, it stung. Yeah. And I mean, you literally
1: just gave me goosebumps because in the span of time, it has been almost two years, but in like grief time, as I like to call it. Okay. Like as far as I'm concerned, your dad passed away like two or three weeks ago.
0: Two or three weeks ago. It's
1: really hard. Those first few Months and years as you try and piece together, who am I now that this person is no longer by mm-hmm. my side? And you know, how do I want them to continue to show up in my life in a way that brings comfort and joy? And, you know, how do I want to lean into their legacy? Like there's so many questions and so much that's still unknown that, you know, give give yourself credit for it still feeling fresh because it even felt fresh to me. Girl, when you said and that.
0: I promise you, I know this interview is about you and y'all. Heard, <laughs> her book is beautiful called grief is love, but a part of me felt like maybe I should take these pictures out. So I don't get oh. that sting. And now that you say, so earlier on in our conversation, you mentioned how you gaslit yourself. My father was ill for about 15 years.
2: So oh gosh, when I'm I got, so
0: when I got the news that he passed, I was at brunch, girl, and I had to go to my car. My cousin walks me to my car, and I just bust out in tears. And then, before you know it, I was like, "Well, he's been sick for 15 years. He's yeah. not. He's not struggling, not suffering anymore. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 His quality of life here wasn't all that good anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But then, going on two years later, when I see a picture of him. I'm like, oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's real. It's it's a grief punch. Like it's like it's like that sudden like like,
0: grief punch. (laughs) Yeah. It's like it, it
1: hits you and you're like, oh my God. And over time, I will say the punch becomes more of a paper cut. Like that's the analogy that I used in a piece I wrote for The Atlantic a couple of weeks ago. You know, every once in a while something will come up and it'll just, it'll hit me just enough that, you know, it wakes me up and maybe i'll cry for a minute maybe i won't and i'll just feel that ache like that absence you know that that feeling that recognition of that absence like that never i don't think after 14 years at least based on what i know i don't think that ever fully goes yeah. away because you shared an unconditional love relationship with your father and even though we may be able to take a step back and recognize like He's no longer suffering and, and, you know, be grateful for that. You can still be sad that he's not here because that's, that's your dad. Like two things can be true at the same time.
0: That's so good. Y'all, okay. Come on, somebody. Okay. She talked about, you talked about the first chapter in your book, Permission. Y'all, the book is called Grief is Love, (laughs) but the first chapter, which she said is the longest chapter is called Permission. You yes. gave yourself permission to love.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, my mom is my mom. And just because she's no longer here with me, that doesn't make her not my mom anymore. And so, when things come up, you know, I'm about to celebrate my first Mother's Day. Like, you Beautiful. know, there's going to be some grief yeah. in that, too. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, so many parallels. Bitter, but then sweet. Cause I'm yes. sure your baby gonna be like, wait a minute, why are you crying? I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know yes. what I mean? And so not only do you love your baby, but you got married four years after your mother passed. Was it difficult opening up yourself? that oh, kind of love. <laughs> oh,
1: girl, girl. There's this whole thing in the book, my my relationship uh sent me back to therapy. I've been in and out of therapy probably 8 10 different times in the last maybe 15 20 years, I would say. Um gosh, I'm getting old. Um and I I was not in therapy when Matt and I first started dating and like the early months of dating were, you know, tricky and it was definitely challenging. And even now talking about it, we've been together over a decade and like my palms are getting sweaty, just like thinking back to that time. But the hardest part came when we took like the next serious step in our relationship and something that I had never done before. You know, we decided to move in together and I owned my own place and it was the epitome of like girly girls, sex in the city, pink, right. you know, roughly stuff all everywhere. And he moved in and a couple of weeks, maybe like a month or so in, I started feeling that anxiety and I was like, you know, what is going on here? You know, I really, I, I believed in my heart and my gut that this was my guy, you know, that like we were going to get married and that this was the right move, you know, moving in together but I just couldn't, I just couldn't settle down. Mm. And so I went to a therapist who I'll be honest with folks who are listening, you know, I didn't even really like her that much, but I could tell she she was going to be able to help me figure it out. And within about three sessions, we got to a place where she helped me understand that, you know, losing my mother meant that I actually know what it feels like to be deeply in love with someone and have it all end. And I had a lot of fear as a result. And I was bringing that fear into my relationship with Matt and instead of having like the fluid and flexible boundaries that loving relationships require, I was more like, okay, you you make one mistake, like we can just break up and you can go because that would be much easier for me. And I didn't want to be that person, especially in this relationship that I really believed could be it for me. And so she kind of like helped me identify all of that. And then made me sit down and talk about it with this guy that at the time I've been dating for like nine months, it was so awkward and so uncomfortable, but now it's one of these stories that serves as kind of the foundation for a relationship, like me figuring out how to navigate love again and boundaries and, you know, figuring out what I needed in order to feel safe and, you know, okay in that relationship was critical. Like if I hadn't done that work, I don't, I don't know that we would be here, honestly. So, yeah. So I will say if folks are struggling to figure out how to open themselves up again after loss, like that's normal. Again, we need to normalize all these things. Like, that is a very normal response. And I hope that, you know, if it's the right person, you will find a way to take that risk. Because the thing that one of the many things that death teaches us is like, we're still here and we don't know how much time any of us has left. So we got to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really glad that instead of, you know, turning away and letting my fear and anxiety win. That I was able to instead figure out how to love this person in a way that felt comfortable for me.
0: It's beautiful in the grieving process, like you said, to find your person. It's not that they wanna incite more pain or more grief, but sometimes <laughs> parts of them kind of mirror, ooh, something you might need to work on or let you know, okay, you're. Oh, person, girl, yeah. You know, but the fact they say, okay, I'm with you. Let's do this together. And I'm so happy and and so just giddy that you do have that because I feel like, Marissa, you definitely deserve that. (laughs) Thank you. Is legacy the last, I believe, was that the last chapter? Uh, I think legacy is
1: second to last because love is last.
0: Okay. Okay. So you talk about your mom and how you believe you're her living legacy and you've had to do the work. Okay, you've had to do yeah, the work, work to get there.
1: Yeah. I think we tend to conflate legacy with a lot of external things, you know, the funeral okay. or, you know, maybe starting a charity in honor of someone or coming up with an award in someone's name, and those things definitely matter. I mean, I've done those things, so I'm not I'm not opposed to them, but fundamentally when I think about when I think about the most important thing that my mother gave me, it was a set of values you know it is it is deeply internal and it's about how i treat myself how i treat other people how i show up in the world in the tiniest ways you know it's about being more loving and compassionate and kind mm-hmm. and patient like those are the things that i know make her most proud. You know, is she proud of the book and proud of the charity and all of the accolades that I've been fortunate enough to receive? Absolutely. But I know that she's most proud when she sees me behave in the ways that she raised me to behave. You know, when she sees me being the person that she wants me to be in the world and, you know, being kind and compassionate and loving. Like, I think that's the most important part of legacy, you know, showing our people that everything that they instilled in us matters and that it really did make a difference because we're continuing to embody those values in the world without them.
0: Mm. Grief is love. I'm sure somebody listening is like, how can grief be love? Oh, Somebody is like, Grief is Scheiza, which is the yeah. German word for S-H-I-T. Yeah. In order to have that heavy grief, it's you love just as heavy probably as the grief, you know. And so I'm so thankful that you have shared.
2: <laughs>
0: you like to do without guilt because people feeling like, you yeah. know, okay, you wrote this book, but I see you smiling. I see you go yeah. go-kart ride. And it's like, I ain't supposed <laughs> to be crying 24 four seven exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so fun thing. So for me, I love, I love the water. You know, you've, you've read the book. I find my mother in the water. So I love going to the beach or even just being close to the water it brings me a lot of joy. I love to cook. And I love to host people and feed people. That is absolutely one of my primary hobbies. And it just fills me up to take care of people in that way. And for me, I have a hard time thinking of myself as, which this makes no sense, but I still struggle to see myself as a creative person because I've been in my career like such a strategist and you know lists and spreadsheets and whatever. But I love to create food and, mm. you know, fun experiences for people. And sometimes those experiences also do honor my mom. You know, my husband and I have a Christmas tradition where we throw a party called tacos and baby Jesus. And my family growing up, uh, you know, we all love Mexican food. And Christmas was my mom's thing. Like it was over the top, completely out of control, Didn't matter that I grew up without much money. Like she started saving for Christmas and like buying Christmas presents nine months before the holiday even was going to hit, you know, so we wanted to find something to do that was our thing, but in the spirit of her life. So it's super fun: costumes, tacos, Christmas cookies. And we also do a food drive uh, for the local, like food pantry, because she was always just a really generous, giving person. I also just love spending time with my people, you know, especially after all of this time that we've spent in isolation you know even as an introvert i just i love being with friends that have become family over the years and just spending time together with some good wine and some snacks and just hanging out you know i don't i don't think that continuing to grieve the loss of my mother means being unhappy all the time or being miserable all the time or crying all the time it means Giving myself space when I do have those moments where I need to cry, but it also means having fun and not just because she would want me to have fun, but because I've always had fun. I've always been a fun person. I've always been the person who wants everyone to come over and hang out and drink and eat and play together. And I know that when I experience joy, that my mom experiences joy through me. Yes. I have to tell you this. Um, yes, please. The please. Of dad, I had a really wonderful interview with a rabbi uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he writes and speaks a lot about grief and recently experienced the loss of his father as well. And he said, one of the things that he tells folks that he works with through their grief is let them see the world through your eyes. So if you can think about you know, what it's like for your father to experience moments when, you know, you are experiencing joy, like how it must be for him to be there with you. You know, when you stop and think about that, it just, it feels really Mm -hmm. good. Like it's really comforting thinking that they are experiencing the world through you. And so I think when you give yourself permission to do that, there can be a lot of joy and laughter and fun, even in the midst of heartache.
0: Absolutely. And I just want everybody to know, give yourself permission to grieve with people, to grieve alone. Mm-hmm. Like you said, there is no straight line no. of grief. There's someone who who taught me that this graph of how they say there's seven or nine steps to grieving a loss. And on this graph, The graph line is straight, then it goes down in the valley, then you go up the mountaintop and then you're on your way, but grief really looks like spaghetti noodles that have been cooked too long, (laughs) because apparently al dente. (laughs) 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 I don't like my noodles crunchy. I don't like them soggy either, but grief kind of looks like, (laughs) you know, it's the in-between. The grief... It kind of looks like that. Or they say a woman's brain. (laughs) Ours are jumbled. Men's brains are so like compartmentalized boxes. (laughs) But grief is a myriad of things. It's a spectrum. So many facets of grief. And I'm so thankful that you took time out to share with us your process of grief. Grief is love. Yes, it really is, and I think when you have that perspective, I want to say it could maybe make the process a little easier. Grief ain't none easy about yeah. it. No, I don't know if that's no. the, if easy is it the right adjective, but um, it does help. Um, like I loved this person. And uh, years later, I might laugh when I think of them or I might, like you said, have that little paper cut, like, oh, I wish they were here for this accomplishment to see me do this, to see us do that. And that's probably going to be a lifelong thing. I believe if you have a heart, someone that you've lost, you'll never forget them.
1: No, no. And so the, the underlying thesis of this book, and I think it's really important to let people know that. As much as Grief is Love is rooted in my story, it is also grounded in the leading research around grief and loss and bereavement. And what I believed going into writing the book, and thankfully, there is research to support this, but what I believed was that there is no getting, quote unquote, getting over it because it is not not possible to get over a foundational loss. Like, you're not going to forget about your father or your best friend or your child or your sibling Mm -hmm. when they die. Mm -hmm. Like, the love that you shared leaves a permanent imprint on your brain. And one of the healthiest ways of coping with loss is something called the continuing bonds theory, which essentially argues that you find your own way to continue to love them, even though they're no longer here. And that's what I've been trying to do. And sort of see research reflect that that is actually the healthiest way to do it and, and the pain of grief, you know, so for people who are like, grief is love, that sounds way too, you know, toxic positivity, you know, I'm really sad, grief is shit, this is awful. It is not that it isn't love, like the pain of grief is the pain of unrequited, unconditional yeah. love. You feel pain because you know what it feels like to love someone and have them physically here on earth with you. You know, you felt their love both in terms of feeling and emotion, but also in terms of action. You know, we love people in part because of how they treat us. And when our people die, they're no longer available to treat us in that way because, you know, they're not physically here anymore. And so I think if we can. If we can reframe that pain as pain that is connected to love, it doesn't make it easy, but I think it makes it easier to at least understand. And therefore, I hope a little bit easier to live with.
0: Y'all, I'm in my brain trying to say these nuggets but I'm going to have to re-listen to this because the recap that I would have for y'all y'all did y'all hear when she said still find a way to love them in your own way did y'all hear that okay okay okay, okay 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 Marissa we got to do this again yes for sure you know i'm sure people are like can you be my resident counselor or the (laughs) resident because you're like oh am i the spokesperson or the you know the poster child of grief (laughs) now but the way you've articulated it is so loving so practical so heartwarming still the emotion I still feel it very present and I'm thankful for you writing your book. Y'all, it is absolutely beautiful. And you might be listening saying, well, I haven't experienced grief of or anything close to me, uh, anybody close to me. Well, I think you should still read it because it's coming, right? (laughs) or, Or you can also feel like read it for somebody else. For how you can, you know, be in aid of of someone else. Honey, Marissa Renee (laughs) Lee, such a beautiful soul. I am following you right now. Y'all, all all you got to do, order Grief is Love (laughs) right now. Please order it, Amazon, wherever you get your books. We want to do our part in supporting everything that Marissa has. And you guys, if this episode resonated with you, don't hesitate. You can find her at M A R I S A R E N E E L E E Marissa Renee Lee at Instagram. I'm giving you permission to flood her DMs, look at me talking. <laughs> um, with what resonated with you and Marissa, thank you again. Thank you for I having can't me. Wait to talk to you again yes it's happening wow 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 i love when you can feel something special and something sweet taking place during a conversation some might call it god is moving some might call it healing is taking place just during conversations and i do agree that we've got to start finding spaces to talk about loss. And I think the pandemic is even forcing a lot of us to be more transparent and talk about what it is that, you know, folks have been going through. And so thank y'all for letting me have space to have guests on here to talk about happiness, grief, transition, relationships. And I'm really, really thankful for this episode. Y'all make sure that you guys follow her. Again, her book is called Grief is Love. And just know that you're not alone. You really aren't alone, all right? And I won't say too much because I think this episode really speaks for itself. Thank you so much for checking in. Know that you are loved. Checking in with Michelle Williams is a production of iHeartRadio and The Black Effect. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products.